And to gather other things, I sense, I say to them, and I have not premeditated upon them, but the Lord just laid upon my heart then, then to say, I think these things will come together. Now, those of you who have been at the Prayer United conferences, retreats with us in the last two years, remember that Papudun, who hates the Mount Murut, you know Mount Murut where the, uh, the revival is taking place in Mount Bakalalan, Mount Murut Prayer Committee, together with Pastor Zaliman, who hates the whole BMSIB prayer ministry in the whole of Sarawak, they have been travelling in the interiors of Sarawak and they say to us, they say, you know what happened in Barrio in 1973 and Bakalalan 73 and 85, the great revival that I've shared with you over the last couple of nights um, that really brought up a major growth for the church in, in Sarawak. They said, do you know that in five different places in the interior of Sarawak right now, we are seeing the same things happening. And we are praying now, they said, that God will fan these local revivals among the Pinans, among the people right up in the interior, will fan this into a major statewide and national revival. Now, I remember those words that he said, that God is doing a new work in the interior. And remember what I said to you about what the Lord spoke to me, the national revival that many of us have been praying for and a regime change would come about the same time. So as I thought about what Papudun and Pastor Zaliman shared about a revival taking place in Sarawak, and as we approached GE 14, I kept saying to God, God, is this a time that you're going to bring about a real regime change after all the horrors of the past few decades? And the question I had, God, is this the time? About two weeks before G14, I spoke to a representative from a major prayer network that very hardly any of us know about, but it's a huge prayer network in this country. I won't say anything more. You can guess whatever I want to refer to. And I say, what do your leaders think? And this person said to me, our leaders... This is two weeks before G14. Our leaders are quite sure that regime change will come. And we're only praying that Pakatan Harapan will not win too much, to have taken too big a margin of victory. Otherwise, they will abuse power. Now, when you think back at it, it was a prophetic insight, a statement of prophetic insight. We are sure that the Pakatan Harapan will win we are only praying that they will not win by too much so that they do not abuse power. Two weeks before G14, that statement was made to me. You can think I'm bluffing you, but I'm going to tell you that that's what was said to me. And a Saturday before G14, G14 was Wednesday, Saturday I spoke to one of the prayer leaders in Sarawak. And I said, what do you think? What do you think the Lord is saying? And this was a man who was very sensitive to Lord's leading. He said, Hua Yong, I've been praying for Malaysia for, for a long time. A few weeks ago, I just felt the burden lifted. 
I just felt the burden lifted. Saturday before Wednesday, G14. And with these two comments, I went back to God. You know, I get very depressed about Malaysia, as many of you have been, I'm sure. And oftentimes when I get very depressed, and I was in a moment of depression, even as I was praying to G14 a few days before that, the Lord reminded me of this passage that was read to you from Psalms. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands for me against the evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in a land of silence. When I thought my foot sleeps, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. And the verse that I could remember always is, it's a bit different from the verse that you read because it's NIV, but the, I'm reading from ESV. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. When I'm burdened, when I'm depressed, when I'm down, when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. It was that verse I remember, so I went back and reread this passage. And the Lord just comforted me. And then suddenly, as I read it, it, wasn't a, it, it was this verse, when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. But suddenly, as I read this passage, the Lord turned my eyes to the next few verses. Can wicked rulers be allied with you? Those who frame injustice by statute, or by decree, or by law, they band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. I say, Lord, what are you saying to me? I say, you're describing Barisan National as it was then. Can wicked rulers be allied with you? Those who frame injustice using the law, think about fake laws and other laws, they hand they band together against the life of the righteous. Think of the lives of people that have died unresolved, no answers, and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity. In other words, God will bring their sins upon their heads and come in judgment and wipe them out for their wickedness, the Lord our God will wipe them out. The Lord has oftentimes spoken to me, brought Bible verses to me at critical moments and tell me what He's going to do. And even as I read this, I knew that change was going to come. <clears throat> as I was thinking about it, even though there was still uncertainty in my mind, there was increasing conviction the Lord would act. And by 11 o'clock on Wednesday night of G14, we knew that had happened. Even though the SPR was trying to cover up the news, Bangkok News by 11 o'clock had re-announced Bangkok Television by 11 o'clock our time had re-announced that Pakatan Harapan had won. Now, I think what happened was unprecedented. We see the God's hand unfolding in our country in a way that many of us can only rejoice over. 
Pakatan Harapan against all odds had come together, and they're still fighting among themselves, as you know. <laughs> Pakatan Harapan had won against all the machinations and the manipulations of the Barisan National Government. And thirdly, the transition has been peaceful. Now, this is an anniversary Sunday service sermon, not a Pakatan Harapan victory speech. <laughs> Let me assure you of that. Let me say that as a pastor, I've always taken the position where as a pastor, I must remain neutral because my church members, some are Barisan National supporters and some are Pakatan Harapan supporters. And let me be, tell you very honestly that I voted many times for Barisan National before. Times when they've done good things. You think about in the late 70s, when Tun Hussein On actually let the cause, uh, get, got Datuk Harun prosecuted for corruption. Quarter of a million ringgit in those days. Not peanuts compared with one MDB. But the present Amno got the vice president Amno sent to jail for a quarter of a million ringgit. I can, I can happily support a government like that. Do you understand me? But over the last 10, 20 years, things have become gone so bad that I found myself impossible. I had to openly say that I could no longer morally support the government. You think of the extreme levels of corruption, timber concessions, one MDB, and now we see the multi-billion contracts all with corruption, uh, with under counterpayments uh, factor into it. The abuse of power through selective prosecution, fake news law, the abuse of power through LROS and the elections, uh, um, the SPR, the Elections Commission. For non-Muslims, the question of religious freedom and in Sarawak, Sabah, where surreptitious, underhanded methods are used to bring about conversions. And among the many of the people struggling in the, the Orang Asli and Orang Asau in Sabah, Sarawak, the whole issue of land rights, their ancestral rights just taken away from them. Acres, hectares and hectares, hundreds, they're lost. I came to a point when I had to publicly say before the election that morally, I, at least I can no longer support Barisan National. And as I read in the Psalm 94, can wicked rulers be allied with you who frame injustice by statute? I knew that God was going to act. Now, many of us have been celebrating, right? But can I urge you, don't over-celebrate. God is on the move. But don't over-celebrate what's happened. Two reasons, at least, why I'm saying this. One, there's, at least, can Pakan Harapan govern effectively? That's a big question that all of us must ask. They have shown themselves to be effective as an opposition, but they have yet to show themselves to be effective as a government. You think about the challenges they face, massive debt left behind by the Barisan National through corruption, continuous sniping from the opposition, think about what past and Amno are now trying to do together, think about the way they block the, fake, the abolition of the fake news law at the Senate, etc. Civil servants having misplaced loyalties. There are major external challenges, internal problems. Think about the 
continual fights within. You just look at PKR elections at the moment and you see the masses that Pakana Harapan can be in. Okay. So, and the continual jostling for power and position. So that's the, that's the one challenge. Can Pakana Harapan govern effectively? The second question is, can the new government avoid getting sucked into abuse of power and corruption that a previous government was sucked into. Many of you are old enough to remember Sabah 1985. And you remember that against all odds, PBS won the election against a BN-supported state government. You remember that? And everybody, many Christians were in euphoria because the leaders of PBS were church leaders, were church members. Irene was a Catholic. Many of the others in the PBS were Anglicans, um, PCS members, uh, and, and, and other Basel Church members, SIB members. I think there wasn't any Methodists, thank God. <laughs> but everybody was euphoric. But within a few years, the government of PBS was sucked up into the corruption in exactly the same way. And by 1994, the government totally collapsed. And when PBS collapsed, the name of Christ, the name of the church, was shame. Why? Because supposedly Christian politicians had demonstrated they were just as evil, just as corrupt as those they were voted out. I can still remember President Jerry Dusing of SIB Sabah. He said, do you know what was the worst time for the church in Sabah? It was when PBS came to power and the name of the church was discredited and the name of Christ was thrown to the mud. What Sabah demonstrates, and I may, may I say this with slowly so that you can hear. What Sabah demonstrates is this. You can win an election, but you can still lose everything worth fighting for. You can win an election, but you can still lose everything worth fighting for. Friends, as I say, this is not Pakatan Harapan speech, victory speech. What is all this that I've said? What is the relevance to us as a church in terms of prayer and revival? I want to say this. G14 has the potential to be a real new dawn for Malaysia. Yes. But unless we are watchful, the promised new dawn can quickly turn into the dark, a dark night of selfish politicking, abuse of power, moral compromise, and corruption business as usual. It can turn very quickly. Sabah showed that. What happened this time in the, on the federal government side? And what the question, therefore, we have to ask as a church is, what is the church God saying to us as a church? And how does that relate to the theme of revival and prayer that we've been looking at? What are the responsibilities that we have as a church? 
I want to suggest at least three things. First, we must, as we've been trying to hold the Pakistan national government before G14 to accountability, we must not have any hesitation to hold the new government accountable. We must do everything to ensure the church included, together other people like Ali Ran and civil society and all that, we must do everything possible to ensure that integrity and accountability prevails in the government. We should demand that our elected officials and civil servants display transparency at every level. For example, they talk about in the past, there was a lot of corruption to negotiate the contracts, uh, tenders. Now we must ensure that in every possible, tenders must be open so that there is transparency. We should not be afraid to use the press, the social media, to expose evil, incompetence, and corruption at all levels. We must continue to dare to speak truth to power, not because the government is there, we cannot speak. Remember, both Dr. M and Anwar Ibrahim have many skeletons in their cupboards. Those of you who are younger may not know, but those of us who are older know the skeletons that they have. Right? Never accept the words and promise of leaders uncritically. I still remember in the height of the M1 MDB com complaints, Najib used to say to the UMNO people, you must trust your leaders. Now they understand what trusting their leaders meant. You cannot trust anybody because power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's why there must always be checks and balances in government. There must be transparency. So that's the first thing. The Christian church together with others in the country must always dare to hold the government accountable. We must dare to speak truth to power. That's what we must do to gather other citizens. But here, I want to move on to the second point. Prayer, and this is where the church alone can do. Christians are called to pray regularly for kings and those in authority that we may live peacefully, peacefully sorry, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in our godliness and holiness. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. I don't know whether you're aware. Significantly, there has been a level, an unprecedented level, never happened before in Malaysia, of prayer for a nation over G14. Totally unprecedented. Every Catholic diocese had a day of prayer and fasting throughout Malaysia. Many Protestant networks have built up pan-national networks. Some we know, some we don't know. And many of you, I'm sure including this church, you spent time in prayer. Did you? Yes, you did. It was a totally unprecedented level of prayer in a nation. And God responded. Act. And I will say this. If Malaysia is to see the fullness of God's blessing of a new bright day of integrity, justice and compassion in a nation into the coming years and decades, this level of prayer must be maintained. I think many of us are saying, well, elections are over, we don't need to pray. And I'm pleading with you, and I'm warning you, if I may be allowed to use such a strong word, 
that if we don't pray into the nation's issues, what happened in Sabah will happen over again. History has got a very interesting and strange way of repeating itself. G14 happened in part. Many people worked together, but a Christian contribution that was that we prayed. We asked the Lord to intervene, and the nation prayed, the church prayed in this nation in a way that's never before. And if you're going to see a bright new day dawning on Malaysia, and that day, bright new day moving in the next few years and next few decades, the church must get on its knees and pray and pray and pray. I've shared this, the church, prayer meetings on Thursday. How many of you turned up for it? Dr. Chan works with these lighthouse prayer groups in a different tamans, different housing areas. How many of you are into this? Prayer United has got these networks of prayer. Are you into it? I want to challenge you in your, also per, your own personal life. Set aside time to pray. Pray for the church. Pray for your pastor. Pray for the leaders. Pray for the nation. I say to my students in SDM with this, I say, minimum when you're still a student, you add set a target of an hour of prayer and Bible reading every day. And I'll say that for you as lay people, you set aside at least half an hour, if not an hour. And unless you prepare to do that, what happened in Sabah will happen again. Paul reminds us in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 12. Let me read to you in full because you need to hear that. And I will urge you to go back and read it yourselves. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 in that passage. It says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly place. I don't know whether you're aware of it. Paul is saying that Politics is not just politics at a human level. Politics is often driven by spiritual powers of darkness behind the scenes. And Paul is saying that we are not battling against flesh and blood. We are battling against these spiritual powers at the highest places. Now, often the church doesn't understand it, but you talk to any Malay politician, they will tell you the Malay politicians all use bomos. Why? Because they understand things that we should know, but we forget. And because, guys, we forget, we forget to pray. All you need to do is just Google Rosma and Bomos. You see what you get there. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm, it's not a laughing matter. You just Google, put Rosma and Bomos. You see what you get there. Taib Mahmud, the previous chief minister of Sar Sarawak, was known to have 15 or so bomos in his residence. And some of you will read the report that came out just before the G14 that the association of bomos all state that we must support Barisan National. And you know how many were there in the association? Do you all read that report? Do you all read that report? 15,000 bomos. Now, you must be all, these are things all on the internet. I don't need, I should not behave, you should not be hearing from me, you should know it yourself. Are you aware of the spiritual battle that we are fighting? 
And one of the things I prayed for was, Lord, open the eyes of the Malaysian public. Let them not be blind by spiritual forces so that they know where justice, where truth, where honesty, where integrity is, and where dishonesty, where injustice. They will see evil and they work accordingly. And the church must pray for this. We are battling not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against spiritual powers in high places. Friends, if the church fails to pray, what happened in Sabah will happen all over again. So first, with all other citizens, we must learn to hold the politicians, our leaders, accountable. Secondly, in line with what we are talking about revival and prayer, the church must get down on our knees to pray for a church and for a nation. And if we do that, then we can see a bright new day for this nation. We are standing at crossroads. If we don't pray, Saba will haunt us again. I come to the third point. The church as salt and light. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. There's a passage that all of us should know. And I'm going to leave your pastor to expound in detail because I only have time. He really did a good job there already with the children. But I'm sure he, will, he, he has got more to share with you. You're a salt of the earth. The role of salt is to prevent a nation from rotting, something from rotting. The role of salt is also to give taste to food. If the church plays its role, we are to help to prevent the church from, nation from rotting spiritually and morally. And we're supposed to make life better, giving taste to life. But the church, as we all know, has failed. The second thing that passage talks about is you are the light of the world. You don't hide it under the, the barrel or the pot, as you saw just now. You know, when we look at these passages, one of the things I keep saying to Christians is, you know, we ask wrong questions. You come to this hall tonight, and it's all dark, what's the first question that you ask? Do you say, why is it so dark? Or do you say, where is the switch? Which question do you ask? Where's the switch so that it's light, right? So you come to a nation like Malaysia, what question should we ask? Are you asking, why is it so dark? Or should you be asking, where's the light? What question do you ask? You should be asking, not why is it so dark, because you expect in a sinful world, to, Malaysia needs to be morally and sinfully. There's a darkness, spiritual darkness. The question, the right question we ask should be, where's the light? But I will tell you this. If you still have your WhatsApp messages pre-G14. If you still have those, you look at all those messages, 99% is about why is Malaysia so dark? Am I right? I'm not exaggerating. We are asking the question, why is Malaysia so dark? Hardly any ask, where is the light? The church is asking the wrong question. And because we are asking the wrong questions, we are failing God. 
We are failing the church. We are failing Malaysia. And God is saying, where is the light? You know, we Christians complain about corruption. But I'm sure those of you who are in industry know it better than I do, that there are many Christians in the thick of corruption in this country. Otherwise, they won't be getting their contracts. We complain about racism from Amno, but how many of us truly care for a poor Malay, the poor Indian, the poor Orang Asli, the poor migrant worker? How can we talk about racism of Amno when racism is also in our own hearts? How can we talk about power abuse in a government? It's not there. When oftentimes the church itself demonstrates power abuse. I met, Ronald probably know one of the church members who came to Saramban. I said to him, I said, why do you leave your other church? He said, well, the pastor demanded to see all our income tax return forms. He said, that's enough for me. And there were more serious examples of power abuse I can give you, but I don't want to shame my fellow Christian leaders. Many of us have failed through power abuse. Forgive us, we pray. You see, the point I'm making is this. The church is called with salt and light, but the church is failing. And also, when it comes to the nation, we are asking the wrong question. We are asking, why is the world so dark? When we should be asking, why is the church not shining forth the light of God? This is a call for repentance and for revival. God is on the move. As God the Lord indicated to me some 10 years ago, the regime change and the work of revival will come together. And I sense that this is God's time, that we live in a critical moment of our nation's history and our own church history. If we respond to God, God will use the church powerfully. If we disobeyed and continue to fail, God will move us aside. Dr. M now, God is using Dr. M to do spring cleaning in Putrajaya. We all read in newspapers every day. Some have been sacked, some will be sacked, others will be transferred, some will go to jail. I hope nothing more serious. Will anybody be condemned, convicted of murder? I don't know. There's a spring cleaning up taking place in Putrajaya. And that's what happens when regime change takes place. But friends, when revival takes place, God also does spring cleaning in the church. Are we ready for it? We ask God for revival, but are we ready for that? In the early church, revival came. The Holy Spirit came upon the early church. And then 
the church grew wonderfully. Everybody was so happy. 3,000 people got converted with one sermon. Signs and wonders were manifest. The church began to live together, and everybody tried to do their part. Then Ananias and Sapphira, the two husband and wife, decided to also want to do their part, but they decided to cheat a little bit. You all know the story. By modern-day standards, maybe it's only a few hundred thousand ringgit. Right? Comparatively. Nothing compared to one MDB. It's not even katampute compared to MDB. It's dust. And yet the Lord removed these two guys, husband and wife, for cheating a little bit. And you say, why? God's so harsh. Huh? Some of us have done even worse things, let's be honest, in other areas of our life. How come God did not remove, and yet God did remove these two guys? Let me give a simple illustration, explain why, why it happened. You know, I used to live, I, I grew up in Penang, as you know. In those days, Penang, the drains, and even the old housing estates, the drains were not very deep, right? And oftentimes what happens, the drains get clogged up, right? And when drains get clogged up, what happens? Huh? Not just floods, but when you come out of the house, is it very nice smell, no? It smells terrible, right? I'm sure many of you know what I'm talking about. The drains are clogged up, the whole place smells. But then, one night, a big torrential fall, rainfall comes, tropical thunderstorm. Next morning, you come out, all the drains are clean. You, get, you come out of your house and say, wow, the place smells so fresh. Never for days, right? I know you know, you know what I'm talking about. Revivals are like this. At ordinary times, God allows rubbish to collect in our drains. God allow rubbish to collect in our churches. But when revival comes, the Holy Spirit is on the move. Like a big, huge tropical rainstorm, the waters of the Holy Spirit will be rushing through the church. And if you are in the way because of unrepentance, God has to move you aside. Let me bring, come to the last section of my sermon this morning. We've been talking about revival and prayer. Are we walking in step with God? He's on the move. Are we in step with Him? Or are we in the way? Are we blocking God's work? Are we preventing the Spirit from having free flow in our churches? Let me ask a few simple questions. In our own personal life, is everything in order? It was not in order in the case of Ananias and Sapphira. They were moved out. I've seen God moving church leaders out. It has happened. And if we stand in the way, God will move us out. Oftentimes, we are so caught up with the pursuit of money, sex, and power, that we are blind to what we are doing. Some people ask, how come Najib doesn't seem to know that he's wrong? And the answer is very simple. We lie to other people, but actually, before we even lie to other people, we are lying to ourselves. 
We don't even know. We are lying to ourselves in order to protect our fragile selves. And the question the Lord is asking is, are we lying to ourselves? Are we living in love, in obedience to God? Oftentimes in church, there are fights among church members. Are we learning to, recon to reconcile? Are we learning to apologize to one another? Are we desiring, making absolutely sure that this church is living in love and unity and reconciliation and in mutual forgiveness? And I want to say to us, friends, that this unity fights in church is one of the biggest reasons why the Holy Spirit does not have freedom to work. If the Holy Spirit is going to work, there must be unity. There must be reconciliation. There must be forgiveness. I share with you about the revival in Bakalalan. That those who are knocked down by the Holy Spirit, many of them, after they were hit to the ground, they could not get up, even though they were conscious, until they sent people to their kampong, waited a few hours for those they fought with or quarreled with, come back to the church, forgive one another, reconcile. Only then could allow the Holy Spirit allow them to get up. And I wonder if the Holy Spirit comes here right now, how many of you will not be able to go home today? God is saying, are we putting our lives right with Him? Friends, are we giving Him the priority to the work of the kingdom? Are we making the extra effort, extra time? I say, can you give him even 30 minutes to spend time reading the Bible and praying? 30 minutes is the minimum. One hour should be your target. Many of your lives are not quite right because you're not giving time with God. You're not waiting upon Him. You're so anxious. You're running around like a headless chicken. Excuse me. But you need the serenity, the tranquility, the peace that God alone can give for you to face the outside world. And the only way you can get it is to spend time with God alone and wait on Him. You know, those of you who had the last two nights, and I say one of the things that God did was that He came and brought revival in the 70s through a charismatic renewal in Malaysia. Many churches grew very quickly. You see some of the big churches in the 20s, 80s, 90s. But about mid 90s, things stagnated. About 15 years ago, I met Mr. Wong Kim Kong, who was at that time the General Secretary of the NECF. I said, Kim Kong, we're friends. I said, I'm a Methodist, I'm biased. You are a charismatic pastor. He said, Yeah. I said, but my observation is this. Correct me if I'm wrong. So I asked him because he knew the charismatic churches. I said, the Lord bless the charismatic churches in the late 70s, 80s, 90s. But things have stagnated, I think, because many things are not in order in the churches. Prosperity gospel, power abuse, financial irregularities, sins, etc. And the church is not growing. Am I right or am I wrong? You know what he said to me? He said, why young? I mean, saying exactly the same things to them, but they're not listening. God can come in revival, but if our lives are not right, the Holy Spirit is grief. He withdraws. And that's why the charismatic renewal, which he blessed so many churches in the 80s and 90s, 
that has stopped. And now you find that many of them are still stuck in the prosperity gospel business, mega church, etc., etc. But the holiness of life, the prayerfulness is not there. And God is saying, are you willing to give your life to sort it out? One last comment is this. Maybe God has been saying to you about something in your life that you need to do, an apology, or something that you need to do for something, somebody. Or God is asking you to make a major decision about something, impossibly with the inclusion of going to full-time ministry as a minister or even as a missionary. I don't know what God has been saying to you, but are you willing to obey God? Remember I say, those of you who are again here last night, I say, Pa'agong, Abin Pakalalan, for 10 years, took a team, went to every house in the whole Pakalalan, got them to learn to take the Bible seriously, listen to the Holy Spirit regularly, right? learn to pray, get rid of all the BOMO, things from the BOMO, learn to be united. For 10 years they did that. And then the great revival came in Pakalalan. God is asking us to sort everything out so that He will have freedom to work. Are we hearing God? So let me close with this. Friends, I believe that God is on the move. And Malaysia, and we stand at a threshold and the point of decision. We can either go with God or go without God. And I believe the message to all of us, and this sermon, incidentally, I'm preaching to a number of churches, not just you. So I'm preaching this sermon because it ties up with the first two nights. And I'm going to say this to you. And I believe God is saying to us this is, if the church is faithful, God will use us individually, as Christian individuals, and as a church, to bring a tremendous powerful, tremendously powerful revival to the whole Malaysian church and to a real blessing to the whole nation. You know, past and Amna has been going on about Malaysia, churches trying to Christianize Malaysia. I don't think we need to do that. You think about Wesley. When he died, only 2% of England were Methodists. At the peak of the Methodist growth, it's only about 4.5%. And yet, history demonstrates that the 4.5% was able to transform much of England's life. We are supposed to be 9%. We're not even doing half as much or even a quarter as much. We don't need to Christianize the country in the sense that past and unknown things that we are do, trying to do. But the church just needs to be a church where we are to be salt and light. And we become a blessing to a nation. So my first comment is this. If we are faithful, God will use us individually and as a church to bring about a powerful revival sustain in the next few decades a blessing to Malaysia. But if we fail, what if we fail? God will move us aside. The church will become useless and become crushed in the next few years or next couple of decades. We'll be crushed by militant Islam. May the Lord allow us to hear that and respond accordingly. Let's pray.
Oh Lord, your word has come to us. You have been moving in our hearts and speaking to every one of us. Whatever I've said that's not of you, I pray, Lord, that you take it away from the minds and hearts of my brothers and sisters here. But whatever I've said that comes from you, will you take them and seal it in their minds and hearts until your word is allowed to come to full growth and bloom and bring about fruits 34, 50, 64, 100 in their lives and in this church. Lord, this is our prayer. This is my prayer. Bless my brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name.